Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. No introduction, nothing, Jay. We're just going to get right into it like we talked about last week. So cold open. Welcome, everyone, to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Was that too much even just doing that, Jay? No, Tom, that was good. I mean, you know, you could have just cold open, but hey, it works. Baby steps, baby steps. <laughs> well, we're, we are welcoming listeners back, but we're also welcoming a guest back today, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're pleased to have Scott Love with us, who I'll uh, introduce him here, and then we can get started and and get his perspective on a number of issues, including the current state of the legal hiring market. But Scott is a legal recruiter who recruits rainmaking partners for big law firms. He's also the host of an excellent podcast, The Rainmaking Podcast, and he recently co-authored a new book, uh, The Rainmaker Confidential, How Top Professionals Make Smart Business Development Investments of Time, Treasure, and Talent. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Yeah. First of all, congrats on the book. That's awesome. We'll dig into that a little bit on the episode, but that's always a big achievement. And that was just recently released, if I'm not mistaken. Within the last year or so, Henry Mm -hmm. DeVries owns a book publishing company. He's a consultant to professionals. And then he and uh, Mark LeBlanc had written books before. They'd both been guests on my show. I'd gotten to know them both pretty well over the years. And they reached out and said, let's write a book on rainmaking. And uh, it was great. And it's different, I think, to be able to come into a meeting with the law firm chairman about their recruiting and say, what's different about me is that I have a lens that I look through which is client development, because I recruit partners. And when a partner goes to another firm, it has to be a good business case, and then giving them a copy of my book. And it's great when they say, oh, can you sign it? (laughs) And it's great to do that. Mm. So, you know, I just get lucky a lot, Jay and Tom. I just get lucky. And um, I got lucky with that, having them ask me to co-author that book with them. Better to be lucky than good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And luck is something we've talked life. about that, you know, some, whatever you call it, luck or serendipity. And it's not, you know, if you reverse engineer the opportunity, it's it's not really luck, but I know what you're saying. And yeah. and we we create our own luck. I, I believe that for sure. Absolutely so, right. Um, all right. So Scott, I wanted to start uh, with something that you posted on LinkedIn yesterday, which which I really liked. And, and based on the reaction that seemed other people did as well, I'll just read. It's a short post you made um, and you wrote, One good day in recruiting can change your month. One good month in recruiting can change your year. One good year in recruiting can change your life. And I love that. I think it's great. I I think it's equally applicable to, you know, anyone who's in a sort of a sales or business development role, right? I mean, that, especially when you're talking about something like legal services, where, you know, one one great client can change everything uh, for you. But I want to dig in a little bit because I think there's more, a little bit more to the story. And I think it's implied in the hashtag, a couple of the hashtags you added to that post, um, which were discipline and little victories. And so what what I was going to add to that and hope you could expand upon a little bit, just share your perspective is that um, while, you know, in order to have one good day, uh, one good month or one good year in terms of result, it, it really requires many days of good effort and consistency such that you know those results happen like the the and i think that again is implied with the discipline and little victories thing where you gotta you, you've really gotta 
do a lot of things that result in maybe no tangible result in order for those results to finally materialize. Is that mm-hmm. is that kind of fair to say that that that's really what you're getting at there? It is. And you have no idea where that business is going to come in from. You just mm-hmm. don't know. And so in the legal recruiting world, in my business, I, always, I, I tell my colleagues this, we started an associate division where I've got two really good colleagues that just do associates for big firms, our clients nationally in major markets. And I say like this, you've got 300 rocks and we know that there are five diamonds under those 300 rocks and you have to turn them over. It could be the first five, it could be the last five, but you have to have the discipline to go through the whole process. So regardless of what someone's business in, if somebody is listening to this and you're a lawyer, you've got to put the work in to build the brand equity, to have thought leadership so that now people see you as a credentialed expert and know how to communicate your services in a sales environment when you're having that conversation. Some firms, they get invited to go on a pitch, or maybe a colleague has brought you to lunch with a prospective client, knowing how to build trust, ask the right questions, and move it forward, segue it forward into a commitment that doesn't seem salesy. And so I think all of those things, you have to do them all, Jay. You have to do them all. And you don't know which one is going to cause people to get back to you. When you will talk about building thought leadership, you have no idea what's going to cause someone to reach out to you. I had one partner actually who was a founder of a firm. He reached out to me, sent me an email that said, I'm going to talk to you about your business. That's all it was. And my philosophy is I will talk to everybody. We talked. He founded a firm that he then wanted to merge into a larger one. And I helped that happen. And boom, about 10 months later, Big firm brought him and his whole team on board. And I remember asking him, how is it that you heard about me? It wasn't a referral, but you know what it was? It was social media. Mm -hmm. And that was proof and concept that there is a tangible benefit to being seen as a credentialed expert. And in my business, there are so many people that get into legal recruiting. What are the barriers for entry? There are none. Well, you have to know how to use LinkedIn and have a cell phone. And that's about it. Uh, and so it's about separating myself from my my competitors. I've got many competitors that are my closest friends. They're worthy competitors. But recently I had uh, some insight into what is it that causes people to choose a certain headhunter or let's say professional service provider. And it's the word of relevance. How can you be relevant to people to give them value, even if they don't work with you? And that's how they're going to stay connected with you. Hence the Rainmaking podcast. Anytime I talk to a partner that doesn't want to move, I say, that's fine. I'm glad we got each other on our radars. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a link to a show called the Rainmaking podcast. I've recorded 171 episodes on why people grow their books of business. And I'm going to give that to you. So I stay connected with people like that. So you just can't tell where the business is going to come from. And I think there is a concept called return on luck, where sometimes you do get lucky. And I feel lucky, Jay and Tom. I mean, people ask me, how do you do? I'm like, I don't know, man. I just kind of stumble forward and I feel lucky. But I've done the work. I've answered the question of how can I help solve your problem? I answer the question of how can I give you a reason to stay connected with me, even if you don't want to buy from me? That's okay. And that's the relevance, having something that connects with people. And then also the volume of work that you have to do to turn over all those rocks or whatever it is for whatever for the person that's listening, whatever your business is, you know that you have to be visible to those prospects. So I'll just kind of kind of stop talking right there because sometimes I can't stop. So I'll just kind of <laughs> force myself to stop. 
<laughs> no, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of gold in there in what you said. And it it's definitely reinforces a lot of the things we talk about. And I mean, just highlight a few. I mean, yes, you you need to be out there and meeting new people, but understanding that um, you know, there are there are diamonds amongst all of the rocks and 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 but you you can't just you can't just rest on your existing network. You need to be yeah. out there and visible to people. Um, and yeah. one of the reasons that's so important is because of the unpredictable nature of demand, whether that be for a new lawyer or to make a career change and, and be in need of a, a legal recruiter. So I think that's critical. And mm -hmm. um, one thing that really struck me, what, what you said, Scott, because I think it's critical and important. And I think this is something that a lot of people, regardless of what service they're offering, don't really understand is what what is the problem that you're solving for the target market you're you're um, reaching out to, and and so I mean I think embedded in that is like two things like who is the market you serve, and then do you truly understand the problems that they're trying to address? Because if you don't understand those things, there's no way that you can create value for them in those interim periods before the demand arises for your services. I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think kind of going along those lines, knowing who your market is and what problems you're solving, and then also communicating to them in the way they want to be communicated to. And here's an mm -hmm. example. I realized I'm a headhunter. I move people from firm A to firm B. And if, about four or five years ago, I realized that what the question you just asked, what business am I am? It's not just moving them, but also mitigating the risk. That's really what I do. And so I changed my whole narrative on my website. Instead of I help partners reach their goals, I say I help partners feel safe and mitigate the risk when they transition to another opportunity because that's the lens that they're looking through. Mm -hmm. That's the deciding factor and showing them, oh, how can I show them that they can feel safe? Well, how do you tell someone, trust me? You never, you never trust someone that says, trust, you can trust me. <laughs> no, you can't. Social proof, credibility. Boom. I had a top secret clearance when I was on active duty years ago in the US Navy. So that shows them this person is safe. Boom. Here's the page on my site called Thought Leadership. Quotes and mentions, major media, legal media. Boom. Testimonials. Someone said, this guy's the best headhunter I've met. And I'm going to name my first child after him. Well, they didn't say that. But, but, you know, boom, social proof, credibility, LinkedIn testimonials. And now when I leave messages on my voicemails, I say, Google me, check out my LinkedIn recommendations before we talk. So I think knowing what problem do you solve and what language does your client prospect speak? Uh, and here's the thing. Uh, I've read a lot of business plans by a lot of successful attorneys. And I've seen that some of the people, they really understand how the value of that client relationship works. And they know that they have become not just that trusted advisor, but really someone who is a trusted partner with their client, where they are not just valuable, they are truly indispensable to that person, whoever their client is. So those, those are things I've seen also. It's not just who's your client, what problems are you solving, but also how can you communicate to them in their language? So Scott, uh, going back to the uh, LinkedIn post that Jay referenced at the beginning. So the, the first thing that I thought of when he was reading that was you're familiar with the book and the concept, make your bed, the Navy yeah. admirable or admiral, right? That uh, I think the takeaway from that is, you know, the first step 
the first thing that you do is the most important because it sets the tone for the rest of and then in your mm-hmm. post the day the month the week the year whatever so uh, you brought up thought leadership twice which is great because this is the thought leadership project podcast do sure. you ever run into a situation where there's somebody who wants to be marketable but hasn't made their bed hasn't taken the first step and does not have a deep thought leadership published history and what how do you overcome that for one and what recommendation do you give that person Right. I have come across people like that. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, sometimes I've seen them where it's kind of too late in their career. Or Mm -hmm. there are some people I've caught where here you need to reach out to Jay and Tom. You need to listen to that podcast. I think it's uh, seeing have people been thoughtful about where the business comes from. And I think with lawyers, some people have the perspective of we don't want to be seen as salesy. I totally understand that. We want to be a profession. We want to add value. However, it is a business and it is becoming more competitive. And you can see now big firms are combining to create top 50 firms because they know that they're going to get more work from big companies and all that. And so I think you've got to be top of mind with your clients and your client prospects. You've got to have a discipline of pushing content out there, whether it's on LinkedIn, but I think it's not a bad idea to find panels that you can sit on for trade associations where your clients and your client prospects attend. In fact, you can even reach out to an existing client that loves you and ask them, I wanted to bounce some ideas off you. What trade associations are you a member of? Well, I'm actually on the board of two of them. Would it be okay if you introduced me to your executive director or whomever it is that manages the meeting? So it's people that actively have a plan, which I don't think a lot of attorneys have a plan on business development. I think some of them have figured it out kind of too late. Uh, Some of them have had good mentors that showed them, this is how you build a book of business. This is how you go out there and show that you are the one. People need to have a reason to feel safe if they're going to choose someone. And if other, in, in something, I actually did a seminar two weeks ago for a recruiting group, how to become micro famous. And I kind of, with my podcast, three years, I started a podcast. Hey, let's put on a show. I had no strategy behind it. But what I found was that it gave me a ton of credibility. What I didn't realize was that I interview a lot of business development coaches that gave me a referral pipeline. I didn't plan on that. And there's a whole other th- group of benefits that came from that one endeavor that I actually taught this group of recruiters that I kind of stumbled on this. I kind of figured this out by accident, but looking back, there is a real strategy behind this, how you put yourself in the spotlight of, I have credentials, I'm an expert, and you can actually give the spotlight to other people on a show kind of like this also. And that causes people that want to reach out to you to feel safe. Well, other people have said that you have credentials, I'm going to look good if I hire you, even if it doesn't work out because you've got those credentials. Scott, I'm curious. I mean, you work with you work with rainmakers, right? I mean, generally, your your the lateral opportunities that you're working um, with clients on uh, are ones where someone has an established book of business mm-hmm. and is moving that book from one firm to another. I know, you know, one of the things I just wrapped up earlier this week, a program that's been kind of a over the period of the last nine months for a particular practice group of a AM law, say 25 uh, law firm. And it was interesting. One of the aspects of that program was not just me doing training, but um, also interviewing on in panel discussions, 
rainmakers throughout the firm from different practice groups, offices. And, and it was really enlightening. Um, you always learn things from that. One of the things that um, became clear was that there's just so many different ways to build a practice, right? There's no single playbook for any of this, but you know, there's some commonalities certainly that um, came, became clear. And and I'm curious to see, you know, what, what are some of the commonalities you see with your clients? I mean, in, in this case, Carving out time for business development, right? To be consistent with it, um, you know, having a plan, um, spending time with clients and prospects. And what I mean by that is not just you know corresponding via email, but having conversations and in, in an effort to really understand the needs and opportunities that are faced by by clients and and being highly responsive to opportunities. We talk a lot in legal services about the need for client service and being responsive when a when a client. Um, you know, emails something over or or to meet a deadline. But when new business opportunities arise, I mean, whether they're on vacation or not, rainmakers are taking that call. They're making things happen. They're seizing those opportunities. I mean, those are just a few things. What else, or what do you, is there something you want to expand upon on on those points I just made with with the rainmakers that you work with? Yes, I think the one that jumps to my mind uh, the most is they have a regular habit mm-hmm. where they have a plan. They have a clear plan. And when I say the plan, I'm talking about which groups are you going to get in front of? Which trade associations? What sort of topic are you going to talk about? What sort of panel are you going to pitch to a trade association? Who are the other professionals, the management consultants, the accountants, the engineers, the PhDs that you're going to invite to sit on that panel when you pitch that program to that trade association, right? They've gotten that granular with that. But then secondly, and I think something that even has more uh potency with it is having a regular ritual. Like I talked about in the LinkedIn post about daily victories, small victories, making your bed every day. And what I do, and I'll come back to your question here in a second, but I have several different habits that help me produce at a peak performance level, even when I don't feel like it. One of those is making my bed every day. And then I have a mantra that I tell myself every day. When I come into my office, I don't open up my email. I open up my database and I start my day with a dial. I call one person and that pushes through that membrane of resistance. Then I can go make my coffee, come back, check my emails. And then before I leave, I make one dial. Okay, I'm ready to go. I'm gonna make one more call, went to voicemail, that's okay. I can leave feeling really good about my effort. But every once in a while, hey, this guy wants to talk. I got to text my wife. I'm going to be a little bit late tonight. Yippee, I'm going to be late tonight. I got a whale, right? And so having those rituals and those habits that keep us on track, it's the rituals and the habits that keep us focused. For example, I'm leaving to go out of town on a Saturday morning, and I take the exit accidentally to go to my office. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. It's that habit that forced me to do it because it was ingrained in me. And when we have regular habits, we don't think about it. It's second nature. Here's an example of how that relates to business development. There was one candidate I met, a young IP partner, very impressive, where he got it. And he said, my goal is to have 50 meaningful connections with client prospects every year. What do you mean? What's meaningful? Having a conversation with them at a conference. He would actually put on his own events that his firm would pay for, and he would bring people together to talk about whatever the IP issues are that are relevant within his industry niche. And he and I said, well, how did you come up with the number 50? This is what he said, Jay. He said, one a week. <laughs> and I'm like, one a week? Anybody can do that. But he went, he made a point every week to have a meaningful connection, whether it was reaching out to somebody that was warm, asking for an introduction, meeting someone at a conference. 
And one thing I've done, uh, I've been very deliberate about what are the resources that I have that can put me in front of people I want to know, such as trade associations. Can I, can I get on the board of one? Can I speak at those? And so I look at those as assets. And then I look at social media as a leverageable asset. If you're an interview on a podcast, that's out there forever. You can take that link and you can email that to a client prospect because you don't want to say, hey, give me your business. Gary, I read this article or I was quoted in this podcast and I thought this might be interesting for you. Hope you're having a great day. I hope you might get some value out of this. And that's it. And you do that a few times. And wow, okay, he really understands what this is all about. I've got a matter. I think I want to reach out to him. So it's having those regular habits that keep us forward. It's kind of like when you go bowling, you instead of having the gutter balls, you put those little, what do they call them? Those borders. Rails. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it keeps the ball moving forward. That's what habits are. It's a regular thing. You don't think about that, and it keeps you performing at a high performance level, even when you don't feel like it. I think that's the, I think that's the key, people that have had habits. It sounds like, though, that that IP attorney is something of a slacker because he's taking two weeks off every year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what kind of attorney Jeez. are you? You're taking two weeks days. off. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I'm curious, Scott, what the up-to-the-moment um, status of legal hiring is right now because at, coming out of COVID, it seemed like across industries there was this the great resignation and people are seeking out flexibility and they're moving for a few grand a year. What's, what's happening as we speak? Well, it's interesting, Tom, because as you know, with COVID, everything shut down. And when we think about COVID, that seems like it was both two weeks and 10 years ago. Yeah. It doesn't seem like three years ago. It seems like it's way back, way back. And then also just like yesterday. But think about what happened. Everybody freaked out. And then guess what? We saw that some practice areas, wow, litigation is up. Wow, look at this, this spike. We didn't expect that. And then December, What's going to happen? Are they going to pay their bills? Hallelujah. Clients paid their bills. And then, you know, the law firms, they got kind of cocky. They're all standing on their desk saying, we innovated. No, you were forced to innovate, <laughs> but you did it because you had no choice. <laughs> and then everybody, wow, demands up in the capital markets. Oh, my gosh. Associate sign-on bonuses, $75,000 sign-on bonuses, bonuses for a fourth year capital market associates, you know, and that's gone. But you see that the demand overall is still high. I think the changes in the legal landscape, big firms merging, that means that whenever there's a change, somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. It means people are going to leave. It means people are going to start their own thing. I think it kind of stimulates new activity. Anytime you see any sort of macro change, that means there's going to be busy work. But in the real time, in terms of demand for partners and associates, I'm on the board of the National Association of Legal Search Consultants, my seventh year. I'm really technically board emeritus right now, but I was at our board meeting for our conference that we had last Friday in New York, and everybody's busy. All of my competitors are busy with big firms. I don't know about the small firm area. That's just an area I'm not involved in. But in terms of big firm firms, the demand for partner talent with a good books of business, meaning they have loyal clients that will follow them, that is high. I think the associate demand has actually increased a little bit. Summer associates, you know, people are kind of done with that. We're looking at the fall. Associates are going to get their bonuses in January. A lot of them are starting to interview right now, getting things lined up, ready to turn their in their notice and move. I think there are certain practice areas that are busier than others, but there are some surprises to firms still looking for capital markets partners. So it, it's it's kind of a it's a pleasant. I think it's, it's a good spot for law firms to be in. I think the ones that will be successful in attracting good talent 
have to be able to learn how to tell a good story. And that's something I've actually advised some firms on where you need to know how to tell a good story. These are some things I'd recommend. Don't use the word culture. Don't use any adjectives or adverbs. Tell a story where people get, get the point of what that culture is. So it's busy. It's busy right now. And I don't see it. I don't see it ending anytime soon in terms of uh, the demand for talent. I don't see it slowing down. Scott, let's just say, you know, you, you're talking to a lawyer, say a junior partner type level, and yeah, they're, they're not necessarily looking to move immediately, but they'd like to keep their options open. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, maybe they're someone who's kind of gotten to partnership based on, you know, really high quality work and high number of hours. Uh, what would you tell them? I mean, obviously I know there's some there's some firms where a, a highly skilled lawyer within a particular niche might be a valuable lateral asset. But, you know, I, I think by and large, many times firms are looking for someone with a book of business. Like what do you, what advice would you give to that person to say, look, if you want to be an attractive lateral candidate, you know, down the road, like here, here's what you should be thinking about and perhaps doing right now in order to position yourself that way. That's right. And I think that's a good question. I think some people, can move without a large book because there is an acute problem that they solve. I think firms have kind of tightened up the calibration that they use in evaluating people. They're vetting people. I think a little, I wouldn't say they're vetting it better than they are a few years ago. I think they've gotten much more focused on what they want in terms of hiring people. Uh, It's less of a market where, yes, we like your partner with a $5 million book. By the way, what does he do again? It's less like that and more strategic. There are some firms that do have some opportunistic uh, possibilities, but I think most firms in general have gotten really clear on what their strategic priorities are. They've gotten clear about what practices need to increase headcount. And there's usually one of several scenarios for a partner going into a firm where you're coming in and you're solving a problem. There is a gap for someone like you. That's what I call the hero's journey. You come in and you become a partner that on day one, you have significance because there is a clear problem that isn't being solved and you can solve it. Or someone coming in and continuing to build the bench strength, continuing to add heft to a certain practice. Somebody has to have, I think, if you're going to move to another firm, you have to show that you have earned the trust of clients. And that translates into the type of people that choose to give you business. Some firms, it's a little bit different. They might say, well, I don't know what my book is because when a client comes to our firm, it's the firm's client and we don't get individual credit. There are firms like that. People still can move. There are other firms where they don't necessarily look at a book of business, but I'd say nine times out of 10 out of the AmLaw 100 and especially the AmLaw 200, someone needs to show that they can generate business. And they need to show that they have earned the trust of a handful of C-suite executives when you go to another firm. And what's interesting, I remember telling this to a law firm chairman once, I said lateral partner hiring is the most effective form of client development because you're bringing people in. You're not bringing in just top line revenue. You're bringing in relationships where trust has already been established with that new partner. And that trust, that has equity, that's gold. That's what you're really getting. You're getting the trust that's joining your firm on day one. And then you can continue to build a synergistic, symbiotic relationship both ways between importing and exporting business. But that's what you're really getting. And if somebody can't show that they have not been able to earn the trust of people that would follow them, 
then I think their chances are not going to be as high. They're not going to be seen as an attractive partner. There are exceptions. There are some elite firms in New York where you've got a senior counsel making a million dollars a year without any book of business. You know That, that happens. I've seen that before. Uh, but I'd say in the AmLaw 100, uh, 90, I'd say 80% of the AmLaw 100 and about 90% of the AmLaw 200, you got to have a book. You got to have... Uh, you have to show that you have built a practice that will port with you if you move. Yeah, well, that's that makes a lot of sense, Scott. And um, you know, I thought that this could be a great place to wrap up. Uh, and I, I for one, feel like this was a, a very high signal to noise podcast episode. Um, <laughs> there was there was a lot of great information that you shared, so I appreciate that. And, Thank you, Jay. And say that I'm sure on behalf of our listeners as well. So thanks a lot for joining us today. And um, we're certainly going to point people to, you know, your your website, your podcast, and your new book. Uh, where else might people, and, and I guess your LinkedIn as well, where else, if, if anywhere, should people uh, go look for you? It's You can find me on LinkedIn. Like you said, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I speak at conferences outside of legal, scottlovespeaks.com. I have a booking agent that books me a few times a year uh, for non-legal, uh, regular business and association groups. I love to speak, uh, but I'm doing deals every day. I'm on the phone talking with uh, smart, guarded, untrusting people that have a fear of change and help them to find better opportunities. Attorneysearchgroup.com is my primary website. Great. Awesome. Well, th thank you, Scott. Really appreciate it. And, uh, until next week, we will uh, hope everyone enjoys uh, the week and weekend ahead, and, and we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks again, Scott. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.